Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 153, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, some Palo Alto teachers have a list of demands before they return to the classroom. And spoiler alert, it's a well-thought-out list. And teachers are polled around the country about whether or not they'll return to teaching next year. We'll share those surprising numbers. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our expert gives us tips on how to empower high school students to think positive, take action, and create change. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is May the 29th. 2020, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and school principal, Christina Pollard. Christina, what's the latest in your world? Listen, I am transitioning out from one principalship into the other right? Um, amid a, a pandemic and how we're going to provide instruction. And for the first time, I think, in my career, I'm almost at a loss for words because we literally don't know what we're doing. <laughs> right. And, and that's kind of what we've been doing with the show is trying to like talk out loud that everyone doesn't really know what they're doing, but we're bouncing around ideas. We're sharing ideas because maybe something's going to come up where people say that's the way we need to do it. There was a, a problem that I didn't think of, and this is minor in the in the big picture of things, but I was speaking to a, an educator yesterday and she was cleaning out a room where she is switching to a new school. And she said, I'm cleaning out a room from a a teacher who just retired after 20 plus years of teaching. And she never had a chance to move, remove her stuff. That's right. And I didn't think about that being a thing. Like that's probably going to happen in a lot of places where no one really had a chance to to clean up, I guess. Right. Did the teachers. No one had a chance to clean up, but let's, let's hit on the part that the teacher was retiring. So when it comes to closing out a school year and retiring, there's special events, there's recognition, Mm -hmm. and then there's the bittersweet moment of getting all those last hugs that was stolen from anybody that was retiring or leaving one school and going to another school or even leaving one district and going to another district. That's been heavily on my mind as I didn't get to actually say goodbye. I didn't get to do that last eighth grade promotion, that last kindergarten promotion and the last staff luncheon. You know, it was just so many things that was taken from us this year in trying to shelter in place and stay at home. And so many teachers that either are in that vulnerable group, no, they could not return back to the school just for their health and safety. But we did conduct closeout processes so that teachers could check out, you know, you have to be accountable for your textbooks, your technology, and then allowing everyone to remove their or pack up their classrooms for summer cleaning. Because now our entire process on how we sanitize and clean the building It's going to change. We will not be able to provide instruction for five days straight um, and not deep clean 
the building. And that normally happens on in the summertime and at Christmas break and sometimes during spring break, deep cleaning. Right. But now we're going to have to deep clean every single week. So um, if they were in that category of, you know, having any type of pre-existing health conditions, then we had to help them and pack their rooms up for them. And then their family came and met us at the door to pick up their things. And I think that hurts. I think that creates a great sadness. Um, and even just yesterday, I was participating in an administrator meeting and we were planning and discussing um, our plan to provide instruction for students next year. And as I was watching, because being the new principal, I have a lot to offer, but yet I'm listening to, you know, my, my new colleagues and just trying to absorb a lot of what we're discussing. And I, I felt some kind of way because I began to see the elementary principals, the distress coming across their faces in our Zoom call. Like, how do you teach children small children with all of the parameters that have been um, laid out before us by the CDC. And I know I just shifted directions, but all of it is overwhelming. I think all of it is causing everyone to feel um, emotionally just, you know, we're drifting right now. You know, and, and I'm actually um, having this show, but we'll talk about it right now instead. I was going to do this later, but we have um, Los Angeles schools, for example, this massive school district apparently is starting to lay out some guidelines. And like you said, like, how do you pull this off with the younger students? And, and like in their list, it's one-way hallways. Uh, again, we've talked about a lot of these lunch at desk, play alone uh, with one ball like by yourself, which is like heartbreaking to imagine, you know, a kindergartner or first or second grader doing that. Well, the research says that they need interactions and they need more play in order to really fuel their brain and keep going to learn all day. Right. And then the the whole idea of mask required for younger kids is, I almost wonder, I mean, I guess it does keep those droplets from being released from those younger kids. But at the same time, I mean, they're fidgeting with them all the time. Now, my five-year-old's been wearing a mask um, this week. But this we, is, we this let, is crazy, though, yeah. because a lot of people don't understand the instructional part of it, Nick. In order to teach that early literacy, phonics, phonemic awareness, mm-hmm. you've got to see their mouth. Right. They've got to see your mouth. That's an important piece of making sure the sounds are coming out right, your your tongue placement. How do you evaluate that if everybody's wearing a mask? I, I do not. There's not a good answer is, is that's the place we are. Um, and, and I saw like in California, you know, they're talking about they have a lot of outdoor space at a lot of their schools and they're going to try to make use of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're up north or you're in the south where, you know, we have tornadoes. They don't really necessarily build all the schools like that with big courtyards no. and stuff. Um, it's just really going to be challenging, um, to try to pull all this off. So yeah, I really worry about those, those elementary school grades, uh, with some of these restrictions that'll be in place and the teachers that have to enforce them. Well, I know that superintendents across our state are meeting and communicating with one another and collaborating on the next steps. But I certainly hope that superintendents are reaching outside of our state to get ideas. I mean, we really don't need to have, you know, 50 directions. Um, We're all in this together, and this is going to be very different for elementary schools. I guess I could say that we can make it work a bit better, um, grades 6 through 12, but even our teenagers need social interaction. Right. And, And the other challenge I was thinking about with kids is as we venture into this world of going back to the classroom and back to sporting events, the the kids aren't necessarily going to be the canary in the coal mine. They they may not show any symptoms since they all so many of them can be asymptomatic. That's so correct. the challenge is 
it's almost like we have to monitor the kids' parents. So when you yeah. start, so it's like if you have a child, let's just say a, a freshman or a sophomore in high school, if their parents come down with COVID, it might be because their kids were passing it to each other at Correct. school. So like, is that communication even going to happen? Is it going to be Johnny's mom got it? And so we need to test Johnny's class. Like, and I just don't see any world where that type of contact tracing is really going to take place. I don't know. Well, we're, we're not, we haven't even tested all Americans right now. Right, exactly. So, um, and you say that, let, let me get on this topic here. I see that um, teachers with the uh, Palo Alto Unified School District have created a list of safety demands before returning to the classroom. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, this should be interesting. So the, the proposal is actually from the Palo Alto Educators Association, which represents about 900 employees. And for those who don't know, Palo Alto is up there. Um, this is like Apple headquarter area of wow. California, Silicon Valley. Um, and, and what they're asking for is uh, looks like plexiglass face shields, disposable gloves, smocks, hand washing stations. Um, and they also are demanding that they have COVID-19 or antibody testing. Um, they also ask for increased nursing staff, a deep cleaning of classrooms before the start of school and protocols, how students will line up and enter and exit classrooms, I guess through those like tighter corridors. Um, and this one's a big one. They want to make sure that their sick time is untouched if they have to quarantine. So it's basically like you might have it um, and you need to not come to school for 14 days. They don't want that to come out of their sick time, even if they're asymptomatic. So general thoughts of hearing all that. What do you think? So that is my absolute first time hearing the list. And as you introduced it, I was prepared to hear something ridiculous, outlandish and unrealistic. And I did not. Every single request on that list, I think, deserves a discussion mm -hmm. and an attempt to provide. Every single one of them, especially uh, not being punitive when it comes to sick days, because um, it's an automatic requirement for a 14-day quarantine if you've been in contact with anyone that has been tested or that has been exposed or that has COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Teachers are only given nine sick days to begin with right. each school year. And when you don't use your sick days at the end of your retirement or when you leave a school district, your sick days are banked into your retirement. That equates to money. Mm-hmm. And so, and what, what you end up doing, incredible. if you don't do that, you end up giving people motive to want to continue to go to school when they shouldn't be. They may try to hide things. And so, yeah, I think for the safety Which, of the community, you know, this is required. Absolutely. absolutely. And you, you know, this is a sidebar conversation, but there was a recent um, article out about a, I won't say which political party, but about a, um, a senator who tested positive for COVID-19 and did not tell his colleagues that he continued to work and collaborate with them. Mm -hmm. And it has come out. And now you have all of those people who have to be quarantined and it's, it's, it's disrespectful and it's unfair. And so you don't want to prompt teachers to withhold information. Um, and so the, the idea of saying we want COVID-19 antibody testing, I feel like that's totally on state and federal officials. Absolutely. I don't feel like the school district should be the one to have to produce that. Um, and I hope that by the time we get to the fall of 2020, that will be pretty ample. It's like, I do know people, do you know people who have been getting tested? Like, even though they're not 
symptomatic because the only person no, I know I have a no. I have a neighbor who's in who's in um, the medical field and she was tested uh, not antibody no, tested but regular tested. I don't, That's the I only don't person know I know anyone. so far. I don't know anyone because all of the testing sites that are in our area require you to have symptoms and an appointment. Right. Um, and the idea of, you know, disposable gloves and hand washing stations, I mean, are, which are all hard to come by right now. Exactly. And so, I mean, and when you think about the amount of schools and just businesses that are going to be trying to get their hands on that type of stuff, I just, um, you know, like you said, the list is so reasonable. Is it obtainable? I don't know. Um, I, but I think it can generate extremely healthy discussion um, and, and gives teachers an opportunity be, to be a part of the planning and the thought process, which is a huge mistake we often make um, in the top level offices. There are policies that get pushed down and no one thought to ask the people in the trenches what their opinion is. And so that's one thing that I'm really proud of my new superintendent. And we were having our planning discussion yesterday. We made a decision that we're going to have three separate meetings next week. We each get an opportunity to select five teachers, five parents, and then, of course, community stakeholders. And we're going to hold a teacher meeting, a parent meeting, and a community stakeholder meeting to give their opinion um, about the recommendations we have for our instructional plan for next year. I absolutely love that idea. That is kudos to your superintendent for, for absolutely. doing that. Absolutely. And so do you have your list of people yet? Has that started? Oh, absolutely. I've already sent it, um, emailed it to her. She gave us until next Wednesday. But the moment that part of the conversation um, happened, of course, my wheels, they always turn really fast. And I, I immediately thought of, okay, I want to identify two veteran teachers who have been in the area, been in the building, who truly understand the community. But I also selected three teachers that I've recently hired because their 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 slate is going to be completely blank in regard to the impact on the community. So you want a variety of opinions. In regard to five parents, I was quick on that as well. With the help of my school counselor, I told her I wanted a diverse group. Of course, they have to have an email because this is going to be a Zoom conversation. And I did not need her to seek out educated, you know, uh, parents. I wanted her to pick a variety of parents, right. um, you know, based on their different experience, their economic uh, situation, because we want an authentic review Absolutely. of what we're trying to do. And then, of course, business leaders. One thing that stood out for me that I didn't think about, we had a principal to recommend that we have um, a daycare owner on the committee. We need to make sure that we reach out to local churches uh, aside from the local businesses, because we need to expand Wi-Fi access. And do they have the ability to provide some so there could be parking lot, uh, so, you know, parking lot access. So right. just a lot of things came out in our conversation yesterday. And I really like the list that you shared um, from the teachers in Palo Alto. It, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they share and what their thought process has been. So in our area. which kind of brings me to my next topic. Let's just say districts can't meet those those you know requests um this was interesting a usa today i think i'm gonna it's ipsos poll it's a marketing research company um they did a poll and in it the results showed that one in five teachers say they are unlikely to go back to school if they open up in the fall 
that seemed high to me. I mean, are you, that's 20%. That's very high. I haven't heard any local discussion about it, but then again, we haven't pulled the teachers to, to ask them that question. And I understand their, their fear, but that's where it goes right back to what I said about including teachers in the discussion and in the planning so that they can understand, you know, we may not have a choice. We've got to have some face to face, but look, this, these are the things we're going to put in place to make it successful. I can tell you, we've already deeply discussed the hybrid model that we talked about on our last um, show. Right. And that's the idea. Yeah. Showing up some. 50%. That's Mm -hmm. correct. And even making those groups smaller, depending on how many teacher assistants that you have and utilizing our elective teachers differently so that our groups can be, you know, as small as possible. But if anything, it makes me think about, what normal school days look like and the greater impact we're going to have by having smaller groups. Intensive instruction is going to be provided. And I'm just really excited about that. Although it's the result of a pandemic. Right. That's true. Um, and there will probably be some silver linings that come out of all this, uh, not just in K through 12 education and college as well. Um, also in that poll, they polled some parents and asked them, you know, are they likely to continue homeschooling? Um, 60% said they were likely to continue homeschooling. 30% of those, so half of those, said they were very likely. Now, I think 60% likely to continue homeschooling, at least where we are in the South. I do not pick up on that. I feel like right now... They'd send them right now if we opened up. I feel like I'm the most (laughs) cautious person of anyone I know. Like, I'm most embarrassed of how cautious I am. And it's like, well, you know, because our our kids are starting to go back to sporting events, soccer and and dance and gymnastics. My son reports to football on Monday. And and I just feel like I'm, I'm alone on an island sometimes with everyone's relaxed attitude right now. But I don't, am I weird? I think it seems like they're relaxed, but, um, and I'll just speak on behalf of of our local high school, Um, our head football coach conducted a Zoom meeting last night with the varsity football team and parents, Mm -hmm. and really did a wonderful job explaining what our practices will look like, what the expectations are on the students, and then we even had the team trainer, Dr., Present And it it really brought a lot of uh, calm to my husband and I. They have done a very great job of breaking down the team by position, um, not having more than nine um, participating at a time, which is going to take all day versus, you know, last summer from nine to 11, the entire team worked out and practiced together. Now you have small groups one-hour sessions. They have to swap. Um, they cannot go in the locker room. The locker room is not accessible. Wow. They must They must arrive already in practice gear. They must bring their own beverages so that, you know, we're not sharing, um, you know. Right. Big Gatorade Spencer, bottles. So and, that's yeah. correct. And then immediately after your session is up, and for example, O-Lyman are first. That includes my son. So his session starts at 830 when it's over at 9.30, he's expected to leave the campus immediately. There's no congregating. They can't stand around and talk. They Nothing. You have to get in your vehicle and leave. That all makes me feel better. 
And I'm and I've kind of heard the same thing from high school sports uh, with my son yeah. who's on the soccer team. However, this is where my concern is. It has nothing to do with the schools. I think the schools are being careful. They're government bodies. They're yes. having to get things approved by committees and so forth. These coaches are where I'm seeing a little bit of the shoot from the hip type attitude is the businesses that may you know run a dance or gymnastics uh, studio yeah. or you know yeah. the, the club Those are the club athletics right yeah. or the club sporting events and stuff and it's like you'll see I'll, I'll get an email and it'll be like you know these are the things we're gonna do and then you actually go and watch and those things are quickly falling by the wayside well, and that's my let concern me, let me support your concern our son is not playing travel baseball this summer yeah we we contacted the team and he elected to not play um there were a number of tournaments scheduled and we will i'll tell you why um because there's there's not a deep regulation on the recreational sports as with the high school athletic association. And just thinking about 18 to 30 children working out on a baseball facility. And then all of these teams, you, you, you know, you can have anywhere from 30, 40 teams, whatever, in a huge baseball um, tournament. And then think about all of the families that arrive and we have not seen any type of, um, strict regulations to help keep everybody safe. And so we made the family decision that our son was not going to play travel ball this summer. It is the first time since he was eight years old that he's not playing travel ball. I was expecting professional sports to kind of take the lead and to say, all right, we're going back to practice. We're going to begin playing games. And it's like little leagues leading the country. And that's that's not a knock on professional. I think it's more of a knock on the fact that we're like so anxious that even the people who are making millions of dollars a year are not are not willing to go back yet. And you said the key word, parents are pushing. Uh, youth sports, a lot of times the coaches are parents and parents right. who did not go, you know, beyond uh, right. their 12th grade athletics. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of people call that daddy ball. And so, yeah, they want to get back out there and get in their groove. It's not necessarily about what's going on with the kids. <laughs> right. I know. That's my that's my concern. Hopefully I'm not the only one out there uh, that You're feels not. that way. Are you ready for the bright idea? Yes, indeed. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment has been speaking to high school students about leadership for the past 10 years. Kyle Wilkham has traveled around the country speaking to educators, and he kept hearing concerns about an apathetic attitude amongst many, not all, but many high school students. Kyle wanted to offer a resource to do something about that apathy, and he's recently penned a new book titled Action Plan Leadership, Empowering High School Students to Think Positive, Take Action, and Create Change. Kyle, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks for having me on the show, Nick. I'm excited to have you. So so this book, Action-Packed Leadership, I mean, who is your target for this book? Yeah, so I'm hoping that it, it reaches a lot of young people. So the audience is high school students around the country, maybe even middle school if, if someone is excelling. Um, but the hope is that educators around the country will use this in leadership classrooms or advisory times um, to really build up the foundation of leadership skills in the young people that they serve. So I guess your typical job, so to speak, is that you travel to a lot of schools around the country, and I guess you're, you're speaking to students to motivate them, right? Like schools ask you to come to speak to students. Do I understand that properly? Absolutely. Yeah, I've traveled now. I've spoken in 47 different states, so I still have 
Hawaii, Rhode Island, and West Virginia uh, to get to. But yes, I speak all around the country to high school students about leadership topics. And as I was saying off the top, I mean, you've heard concerns from educators that they were concerned about apathy amongst high school students. And and I, I don't want to paint high school students with a broad brush. There are some brilliant and, and amazing things coming out of high school students. Um, but I guess kind of elaborate more, like what specifically are educators concerned about? Yeah, absolutely. And and I like that you use the term broad brush because on the cover of my book that's coming out, I kind of have these paint splashes that are coming out of a megaphone. And it kind of shows to me, at least, that there are a lot of different styles of young leaders. There's a lot of different unique voices out there. Um, but educators around the country keep telling me like the the thing they struggle with the most is that the cell phone use and the not caring about their activities or not showing up to events. And it's just something that's kind of created this, like you said, apathetic uh, attitude in young people where, you know, you, you want to inspire and motivate an entire school. But a lot of times what we're hearing is we've inspired and motivated the top 10% of people who are most active in the school anyway. And great, we've lit a fire under them to do a little bit more or reach out to their peers or be a little more kind. And and those things are great. But how do we really, from the bottom up, create this movement of the entire school needs to care and think differently about how they're approaching their lives and their futures? And so I've had a lot of great conversations with educators about what does it look like to allow somebody to be feel and be empowered to take action like what does that jump look like to say okay i'm going to start thinking a little bit differently and now i'm going to move based on that positive thought that i have understood and that's what's so interesting the subtitle of this book again is empowering high school students to think positive take action and create change and and i think think positive is probably the easy part right but it's that take action and create change that is really the big jump absolutely i've said for a long time there's this huge gap between our thoughts and our actions, which, you know, there's a, an old story. I kind of talk about it in my first book um, about there are three birds that are on a bench and one of them decides to fly away. How many birds are left? And the answer, as counterintuitive as it might sound, is three. There's still three birds on that bench because one of them deciding to fly away is very different from it actually doing it. And I think so many times in our life, we can decide to eat healthier, we can decide to go to the gym more, we can decide to read more about a topic that interests us, but until we do it, nothing changes. Um, I often say in my speeches, nothing happens unless something moves. And I think unless we're inspiring in a way that causes change, that causes action to happen, then we're not truly changing anything. So I really took the approach in this book is, How do we, from the bottom up, from the inside out, change the way young people think about becoming leaders or impacting their school culture or environment, and then taking action on it? How does it come to fruition in their lives? And so I don't want to give, have you give away all the goods in the book, but, but I mean, how, how do you do that? How does an educator convince a student, um, to actually get out and do something positive that affects other people? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the very core of it, there needs to be an emotional response. So you need to care enough emotionally about something to actually move on it. So, um, you know, through my talks, through my speeches, through interacting with people around the country, I've continued to hear these stories from young people, from old people, you know, 
there's a story about there of a, a, a 90 year old man in my book who continued to send Christmas cards throughout the year to, to everybody in his address book. And so every single chapter, whether it's about communication style, whether it's about networking, whether it's uh, simply about, you know, building a personal brand as a leader, every story, you know, every chapter begins with a story that's hopefully meant to emotionally charge someone to say, oh, I understand why I should care. I understand why I should be emotionally invested in making this change. And then we lead from that story into the X's and O's of, okay, you now understand why or how it's important. You're hopefully emotionally charged up to make a difference. Now, how do we actually do that? What actions do we take? And then that's really the meat, the depth of the book that we get into. I mean, I mean, are you saying that step one is for a student to identify what they're passionate about so they know where to apply that energy? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of passion and values because I think, you know, everyone's a leader. I think, you know, and, and that statement might rub some people the wrong way, but I believe that leadership is all about influence and you can be a positive influence. You could be a negative influence but you're always influencing someone. And, you know, whether you're that senior who might be influencing a freshman, or you might be a freshman and just have other freshmen looking to you to say, how does this person interact within this group? You always have some sort of influence. And I think being passionate about something and following your passion is one thing, but setting your core values and saying, okay, this is what I believe, not just what excites me, not just what I want to go after, but but what to my core am I willing to fight for in my life? And then once you kind of have those core values set and you start thinking about them in a way that really is emotional and impactful, you can start to expand that bubble of, okay, these are my values. What actions align with these values to make sure that we're building not just actions people take, but a framework for leadership that works for all high school students. You're a younger guy and you grew up in a world that was very digital. Um, how important is it for high school students once they identify where they want to take action, where they want to be a leader to, to not just do that in the digital world, not just build, you know, this digital presence, but actually interact with people. Do you think that's, that's something that they should be doing or do you, can, are you okay with just a, a digital presence? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. And it's a huge question. And we'll continue to ask it for the next 10, 20, however many years. Um, but is it okay to be a digital leader and not be a leader in the real world? And and not that the digital world isn't the real world. But I, I would say it's kind of like, if there was a girl in high school who wanted to be prom queen, and she was mean to the people around her all throughout her high school career. And then senior year said, all right, today I'm going to be really nice to the people around me and they're going to vote for me now. I think we're consistently through our actions, building a brand that tells a story. And through her high school career, she told the story that, you know, I'm not the, the prom queen. I'm, I'm the mean person. I'm the mean girl. Mm -hmm. and, and then she just tried to change that one day in real life. And I don't think that's how it works. I think whether it's our digital voice or what we do in the classroom, in the hallways, I, I think it all needs to be intertwined. So I think digitally, it's a start where if we go online and we're constantly bringing people down or tearing people down and saying mean things, well, it's definitely not going to translate into the real world. But heck, if you start to do something a little differently online, 
and you're kind to people online and you stand up for people if they need help. Um, I do think that can translate into the real world. So I don't want to just write off, you know, Twitter and Snapchat and all these, you know, things that people are using, but I do think it can be a conduit to shifting behavior, even in the, the classroom and hallway and community scenarios. Can you give me a, you said you, you start off each chapter in this book with, with basically, I guess, a case study or a real story. Um, can you give me an example of, of a young person that has surprisingly gone from apathetic to taking action and creating change? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell a story in a, a chapter about personal branding and finding it, what it is about you that, you know, you really want to hold tight to what, what adjectives you'd like people to describe you with when they think about you. And one student really came out of the woodwork, um, so to speak, and um, his name is Jaspreet. And Jaspreet, when he was a freshman in high school, really didn't know what to get involved in, wasn't really too sure about being involved at all. And he kind of was okay saying, you know, I don't really need to get involved to get good grades and to just be a part of this high school experience. Um, but someone approached him and said, hey, I've noticed that you're a good writer, that that you're smart. I'd love for you to join me in this organization called DECA. He said, you know what? I didn't really know too much about DECA, but he decided to just take a step, just to move in that direction. And and when he did that, he started to find out that that a whole world of opportunities was becoming open to him. He learned how to write business plans. He learned how to compete in uh, business-oriented competitions. And he also started to find that he was extremely passionate about the airline industry, about planes, about aviation. And he started to find that there could be correlations between the airline industry and the you know business side of things that he was starting to learn about in high school. So he had taken that initial step to go from I don't really know if I should get involved to I now have found some things that I'm really interested in. Well, Jaspreet ended up uh, interning when he was in college with United Airlines. He went from interning with them to getting a full-time job offer. And then he now flies for free with United Airlines anywhere he wants to go when he's not working. So he's taken that opportunity to, you know, from his experience in high school of going from a little bit apathetic to I am now the DECA guy. I'm I'm business oriented. I'm community savvy, you know, to to now flying around the world. And I think at the time of, of me writing the story, which was a few months ago, um, he has circled the globe 22 times in his travels. Wow. So it's it, it's just an amazing thing going, you know, you don't exactly know where you're headed when you're a freshman in high school, but sometimes taking the smallest of steps can lead to the biggest of outcomes. Now, you were saying this book is, is targeted towards those students, but it's also important for educators to be able to connect with those students and help bridge that gap, I guess. So, and in fact, our co-host, Christina, who's a, a phenomenal principal, she says, quote, if you don't understand how to reach a child, your intellect and content knowledge will mean nothing. I mean, do you think that reading a book like yours as an educator might help find a way to get younger people to connect in this world of taking action and creating change? Absolutely. And I think that's the real reason I wrote it is because I, I want to help young people. I want it, but there's only so many places that I can travel at a time. There's only so many audiences I can be in front of. And educators see these kids every day. 
They have relationships with them. They're growing with them. They they have more influence than they care to to realize sometimes. And and I think in having that type of influence, it is so important to understand how these students learn emotionally, tangibly, X's and O's, whatever that looks like. And if there's a book out there like Action Packed Leadership that's coming out, um, if there's a book out there that can help them learn to connect with young people, I, I believe they should be eating it up, you know, grab it as soon as you can, whether it's a teacher, a coach, an administrator, an advisor of a student council or a student organization like DECA or FBLA. Um, those are the people I would hope reading this are reading this book and then being the conduit to the stories and the information to bring it to life in their classrooms or their organizations. How did you get into this world of of reaching out to high school students? How did that start for you? Yeah, so I was heavily involved in high school. I was a member of a student organization that had a big impact on me. And when I went to college, I had a lot of unique experiences. I was a walk-on on a Division I men's basketball program. Uh, everyone, when I speak, says that I look more like a tennis player. So <laughs> it's pretty surprising to people. Um, I was a member of the Army ROTC for a year, so I trained with strong military leaders, and I just kept learning a lot about leadership and how it relates to the students that go through high school and aren't really sure about what their future should look like. So I started to do some research, and I got this great internship at a leadership development company. This was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I just started working my way up. I started doing some writing. I started submitting it to them. And and by the time I graduated, they had offered me a full-time job and they had said, we would love to also publish your first book. And it was wonderful and it was amazing. But after a couple of years, I got this entrepreneurial itch and decided that I needed to start my own speaking business. And so in 2016, uh, I started my own speaking business and uh, have been traveling the country, spreading these messages. And it, it basically comes down to the fact that I'm extremely passionate about helping young people grow. If young people are becoming the best versions of themselves, then I think we're doing something right. And so what's your message? When you when you speak to a group of students, what are you trying to drive home for them? Yeah, for me, I talk so much about being a hero. What it looks like, not just to be you know emulating Batman or Spider-Man or Superman, but what it looks like to be a hero in our own world, in the real world. What does it look like? And I tell people that, if we created an acronym for it, it would be help, engage, respond, and own your power. When you see someone needs help, go out of your way to do that. When you know you have an opportunity to engage with someone else in a real way, not just digitally, but really listen and give attention to someone else. Um, I often tell people the most important thing you can ever do is see written on the forehead of every person you meet the words, make me feel important. So when we're helping, when we're engaging, when we're responding, not just emotionally, but with patience and with poise, and then when we're owning the power that we have to truly make a difference through our actions, that's when we become a hero in the real world. I really like that. I mean, if we're not here to help each other out, why are we here? You know, and that kind of feels very much in line with that. Um, That's good stuff. So uh, tell me about the book and how people can get their hands on it. Is it released yet? It's not out yet. Uh, it is coming out in August of this year. So August 2020, we're, we're releasing the book. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I feel like in, you know, all the, the craziness of things being shut down and coronavirus and things, there are 
foundational principles and lessons that I believe uh, supersede all of that. And so I'm really excited to get this out there. And, uh, you know, as school gets back going in the fall and as organizations continue to put conferences on, and even if they're virtual, uh, to hopefully get these leadership lessons to young people who who need messages of motivation and to be inspired to do something different in their lives. So so you are available for virtual conferences in this new world that we live in, if that's a thing we need to do in the fall of 2020, I suppose, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've done quite a few virtual conferences already. Well, well, Kyle, I forgot to tell you at the top of the show, we always do something with our guest um, called a pop quiz where we ask our guests the same seven questions. Are you, are you game for doing that? Absolutely. All right. So we're going to jump into the uh, pop quiz here. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Leadership. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I believe that we're not teaching uh, empathy as much as we could be. How to be in someone else's shoes and to see the world from a different perspective. What does every child deserve? Every child, every child deserves love. Biggest challenge for today's educators? I believe the biggest challenge is keeping up with the continuous technology improvements that are happening, which is creating the apathetic attitude that we mentioned earlier. What's the best gift to give an educator? I believe the best gift to give an educator would be respect. I think they deserve it. I think they do so much. And and maybe now that people are homeschooling their kids, they're realizing more and more just how important educators are uh, to the development of young people. Yeah, that is a silver lining for sure that's come out of uh, COVID-19, no doubt. Which teacher changed your life? I had a teacher in high school. Uh, his name was Mr. Zyker. And he was an English teacher, but he was so much more than that. Uh, he he had become a basketball coach for me, but he, he taught me about the beauty of learning, what, what it really felt like to learn something and feel accomplished in that. And I, I think that without that foundation, I wouldn't read as much as I do. I wouldn't be as curious about the world as I am. And so I, I owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Zyker for sure. And last question, do you prefer a pen or pencil? I prefer a pen. I like the permanency. All right, good stuff. Kyle, welcome again. We appreciate you taking the uh, time to chat with us again. The name of that book is Action Packed Leadership, Empowering High School Students to Think Positive, Take Action, and Create Change. Kyle, if someone wants to keep up with you or, or kind of you know follow you along with your adventures, uh, where's a good place to do that online? Absolutely. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find me anywhere. Um, just my full name, Kyle Wilcom. Um, I also do a lot of um, you know just short very quick-witted um, spoken word, uh, motivational one-minute pep talks, I call them. And so you can find those on Spotify as well under Kyle Wilcom. Oh, good stuff. I like that. Again, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>